This is Neil Doyle. It's now time for your fifth quarter sports talk. It's Will's fifth quarter special. Here's your host, Will Farlow. Welcome into the 12th episode of a sports podcast that captures everything you want to know as the buzzer sounds at the end of any sports game. It's Will Farlow here with you tonight on April 23rd, 2018, welcoming listeners into the 12th episode of Will's Fifth Quarter Special. I'm here tonight with my guest, co-host, and close friend, Neil Doyle, who was uh, originally here. Episode 6 did a phenomenal job, so Neil... We're, you're a regular now, so you're uh, stuck with the show here. Glad to have you back. I love to be a regular. Friend of the show. Thanks for having me, Will. We're going to touch on various key subjects, starting with the Illinois State softball team, who got swept in a interesting three-game homestand this weekend against Drake at Marion Kinnear Stadium. How can their solid hitting in 2018 bounce back Tuesday against Bradley, and then on the road this weekend against UNI? The Redbird baseball team is still looking for success in pitching on the mound as they fell in three games on the road against Missouri State. How can they gain a rebound matchup at Illinois Wesleyan down the road in Bloomington Tuesday? The 2018 NFL Draft is here this week in Dallas, Texas, and we have a guest appearance I had the pleasure to interview as well. A conversation between me and new Bears sports reporter from 670 The Score, Mark Grody, who will help us to, uh, prepare for the draft and what we can expect to see from a Chicago Bears team picking at eighth overall with various different avenue options in the first round and the rest of the draft. The show will close with the original fun segment of Will Sports Movie Month. So, Neil, just to talk, I'm going to touch on it here first about the Illinois State softball team, and then I'll lead you in a little bit from for some analysis uh, along with myself. The Redbird softball team fell in a three-game sweep at home this past weekend against the Drake Bulldogs. At Marion Kinnear Stadium, the first two games were a double header for Illinois State and Drake. Drake won in what they consider in softball a six-inning mercy rule, courtesy to Andy Olson at Z&D, uh, running that by us, teaching us that stat. Eight to nothing that first game was. So that was a very quick game. Eight to three Saturday, uh, the 2:30 tip-off, uh, second game of that double header, and uh, Drake just shelled the Redbirds, getting that room ready three nothing in game three, and they have coming up. The doubleheader last week was two games last Thursday. Gotta hate the weather. Luckily, it's shaping up now around the campus and around Bloomington normal. Uh, they played two games at Bradley. They won one of the two, but uh, game three, the rubber match, I don't know how they scheduled it off that doubleheader separately, but it'll be tomorrow, and then they have, I believe, you and I coming up as well. So, Neil, we're just going to talk about it because that series was, and I had the pleasure to be on the call for Z&D for that one as well. This is a softball team we saw go to, the, to get the conference title last year, and we've talked about it on this show quite a bit so far. After the loss of Jordan Dales Reyes and Andy Hyman, we didn't know what to expect from this team. But Melinda Fisher's coached this team 33 years, very impressive. You know, that's there's no nothing bad to say about her as a coach or how she manages the team. Just an incredible job. I think that's why we see young freshman rookies playing like senior veterans sometimes in some games, stepping up and. I just want to get some of your thoughts on those three games. Like what you, I don't know if you saw it completely each three game, but you know quite a bit about these, this team and where it's been. So just uh, give me some insight on those uh, this team and what happened in that series. Well, I mean, this was obviously a Drake team that's playing some of the best softball in the Valley. And you can see that with an 18-0 record in the Missouri Valley. So this is the best team in the MVC that came in to Marion Kinnear Stadium. And really, if ISU could have taken, you know, at least one, maybe even two of those games, that would have been huge. Uh, but obviously, you saw how good Drake is. You talked about their pitching staff have three pitchers with under a 2.00 ERA. Just impressive in collegiate softball. And to really put it on the head, Nicole Newman, who won two games during that series, one game one, and then she pitched Sunday in game three. She now has 16 wins on the year to just two losses. She was the Valley preseason player, pardon me, preseason pitcher of the year. and Newcomer uh, of the week as well, actually. Yeah, and I, that probably just got released earlier today. I didn't see it. About yet. right before that series, actually. Well, there you go. And so you see they didn't have her a year ago. And so a lot of people weren't sure where this Drake team was going to be. But this is a team that's led by a very strong pitching staff and probably the best pitcher in the Missouri Valley. And then they're getting some timely offense as well. And for ISU, it's just, again, I mean, the pitching in a lot of the players, we've had a few players that, I, that I've talked to and I'm sure you've talked to throughout Quite the year. Quite a bit, yes. It's just, it's been a struggle at times throughout the season to put all three phases of the game together. Uh, and obviously three phases in softball or baseball for that matter is hitting, pitching, and fielding. Um, and they've, they've had trouble doing that where we didn't see that last year. It was very strong offense, got very good pitching from Sarah Fink, and then played well in the field. This year, it's been a little bit of a tougher time doing that. And in particular, the offense 
they're just not getting some of that timely hitting. And, and you talked about losing Jordan De Los Reyes, who is one of the best hitters to ever come through Illinois State University. You lose her, that's a big void in the middle of that lineup. But they brought so many key pieces back from that team that you know shared the regular season title in, in the Missouri Valley. And they're just not getting some of those players to produce some of those hits. So you never want to lose three games at home. Obviously, you talked about you're nearing the end of the season. You got one more game against uh, a foe in Bradley tomorrow. I'll actually be on that and call. And then you and I after. Yeah, then you have you and I and Valpo to finish out the season. So if anything, if ISU, who was playing good softball going into that Drake series, they can get things turned around here over the final six games. You take maybe four of those, build yourself a little momentum going into the uh, Missouri Valley Tournament, and you never know what can happen. And we, we we talked about, and I'm sure we can probably talk about next when we move on to baseball. We saw that baseball team last year had like 31 t- losses and then went to the and went, tournament and just went to town on and, the team. Yeah. You never know what can happen. And yes, this Drake team still has not lost a game in the Valley, and they probably are going to be the clear favorites heading into that the tournament. The dubs of the Missouri Valley Conference. But you never know because ISU, there was a reason ISU was picked as the Missouri Valley Conference preseason number one oh, team. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Neil, definitely. And so if these bats can get going here to end the year, I know it's been a struggle all season long, I believe, as a team. They're only hitting at about a two thirty average, which was yeah. not at all the case a season ago. Not at all. They're going to have to turn that around here over the last few games, and you never know. I mean, the game of baseball and softball, it's all about who's hot at the right time. And if ISU can just get hot, you never know what can happen when it comes to, uh, to the MBC tournament. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Neil. And just, just since we're opening the softball segment here, just some opening thoughts I saw from that game. A lot of credit has to go, and I saw her, like you talked about the growth of players last year, one that I was watching a lot last year, just as somebody that was with Jordan, Annie, all those veterans, just a younger player that's still there is Shannon Feldy. And when I was on the call, she was the lone hit, as we mentioned uh, statistically. She was the only Redbird hit in that six-inning uh, 8-0 Mercy win Drake had. The only hit of that game. And she was also one of the two hits in Game 2. Credit to uh, Alyssa Weeble, who also, just on even some more uh, respect to uh, somebody that played third base last year. She played third base quite a bit, and... Moving to center field, she's grown quite a bit in that position, obviously with Caitlin Daly on left. And one of my favorite outfielders on the softball team, Riley Hale, just an incredible lead affair. I almost compared to the Adam Eaton of the Redbirds a little bit there. I know you're a Sox fan, oh, yeah. so we like that. But just those two hits were big. I remember, you know, we're on the call there. It was me, Anthony Ferretti, and uh, Mitch Dangle there in the studio. And you're just, you're seeing the game like the fans are. You're hoping Illinois State can get some runs there. And, you know, they got to the hits, yes, but... It's about bringing those runs. You've seen that in a lot of baseball and softball games. I have myself as well. Just teams bringing those runs. And just a closing thought for me was when you see that home run go up, just skyrocket out. Weevil took that first pitch, just bombed it out of the park like a little big hurt Frank Thomas. But just my closing thoughts, uh, I'm definitely in agreement with you. Drake was a good test for them. But this is a young team. They're the third youngest team in Missouri Valley last year. So I think sky's the limit for this team and just – I'm going to open it with the question here. So we talked about the pitching already a little bit, but how can the young Redbirds, that's how we're going to refer to them here. I think that's the right uh, trademark name for this team. How can the young Redbirds look for a bounce back game Tuesday against the Bradley Braves? Well, you always want to play well against a rival. And obviously everybody knows the rivalry between Bradley and Illinois State. But, and I believe, as we've said, they've already split the two games that they've played. So now you're last now week. You're, yeah. Now you're trying to win the series and in baseball, softball in general, you have a winning record when you're able to take series. And so if you want to try and take this game tomorrow, you're at home in front of your home fans and you're playing a rival. It's just right now, it's just trying to get some timely hitting. We talked about not hitting for a great average as a team. The pitching has been here and there throughout the year. I mean, Sarah Fink wasn't as good as she she was a year ago. Not the one we saw last year at all. And and some of that might become because the hitting and offense for this team last year was was so uh, dominant. And, And it was really, they used, they could do everything. They hit for average, they hit for power, and they're just not seeing that as much this year. So it just comes down to it's got to be a team effort. It's not going to be one person that's going to lift you to, to wins here throughout the rest of the season. It's got to be these girls coming together, even though it's so late in the year and they've already played. Of course, my math's not very good, but they've played 18 wins and 27 losses, so whatever that math comes out to. And obviously, I can't do that in my head. What is that, 56 games or something like that? Uh, or is that way too much? I don't even know. Let's not try I to do that. I think 27-18, that would be 
This is for the listeners on we're com majors, so we're we're a little rough on the math here. Um, forty five. I just did it. That's forty five. Thank you. Forty five. knows math. Yeah. So forty five games already. So obviously this is not early in the year for this team, but you just have to come together here, and this is the time to do it. Six games remaining, right before the MVC tournament. If they can just come together as a group. They've got the talent, and again, I'll refer. I mean, there's there's a reason you're picked as the number one team preseason if you've got enough talented pieces, and they do. They've had some injuries here and there throughout the year, but this is the time. Hopefully, they Big come test. together, and it starts tomorrow. It starts tomorrow with a win here Couldn't at home more. against Bradley. So the Redbirds have seen young players such as Morgan Day, who I think I saw game three. She pitched uh, a little bit in relief, almost I think, but Coach Melinda Fisher didn't bring her because she went. And this is just to touch on the Redbird pitchers here. Game one, Morgan Day, the freshman. We, I, I touched on it earlier in a few episodes. Her first like big start was in non-conference play against the top-ranked Florida Gators, and she obviously learned a lot from that. And Sarah Fink, I think, has been a really good, as I was telling a few of my friends at the game Sunday, a good veteran presence for her, probably Allie as well, just passing on what they know. Because Sarah Fink's a senior, so she's basically, shall we say, passing the torch to Morgan Day. I think, like, Coach Fisher is probably saying, hey, Morgan Day is going to be our next future ace, and she's playing consistently well along with these veterans, and that's what you like to see with any team. I know we talk about it with basketball and Illinois here at ISU, the men's teams, the women's team, and you know the volleyball team even in this fall, but in terms of softball, it's just really impressive to see how that team meshes. I think a lot of that credit goes to Coach Fisher, but at this point in the season, what can you say about the team's bright future? I know we've touched on it a bit, but what blueprint do you think is going to be set for this team's right future based on what we're seeing right now? Well, and obviously, I think they've been wanting to do a little bit better than they have this year just because, again, I mean, there was a lot of hype with how they finished last year. And coming in, they brought back a lot of those pieces. I mean, you brought back your star pitcher and Sarah Fink. You brought back a lot of your position players. And with so like, say again, you lost Dalos Reyes, but otherwise you brought back a lot of key people. So that's why the expectations were so high. But again, we talk about this is still such a very young team. They're not going to lose much going into next year. Obviously, they weren't really going into this year expecting, all right, let's just, you know, do the best we can, get ready for next year. They were in win win now mode this year. And that Y'all love that energy. Well, yeah, and it hasn't been the case so far just because of, of how much of a struggle it's been here and there. But Again, I'll say it, you never know what can happen down these final six games. If this team gets hot, no, I don't think a lot of people would be surprised if they were able to win the MVC just because of the talented pieces they have. They haven't played to it to this point, but if they get hot, you never know. They might win. But again, it, it's really exciting to see this group because, one, they're growing. Maybe they can go on a little run here to end the year, even though it's not been the year they've won it. And then you're going to bring back pretty much everybody from this team for next year. So the expectations are going to be high going into ne- going into next year, but this team wants to win right now. That's, that's their goal, finish the season strong, and maybe have a chance at the Missouri Valley Tournament. Couldn't agree more, Neil, and uh, just very well said, as usual. Tomorrow's tip-off at Marion Kinder Stadium. Fans, if you haven't heard it yet, go check out the uh, Redbird softball team tomorrow. I know it's a Tuesday, but uh, – Get out of work early, get out of school early, get a teacher's note, whatever you got to do. Head over to Mary Kinder Stadium and watch the battle for I-74 come to ISU against the Bradley Braves tomorrow with first pitch at 5 p.m. Followed by that, they will feature a double header on the road at Cedar Falls, Iowa against conference rival UNI. That'll be a noon tip-off, and I believe it'll probably be 2.30, 3 o'clock the second game as usual. And game three of that rubber match will be Sunday, 11 a.m., and now we're going to go into Illinois State softball, Neil. And just touching briefly on it here, they were in a three-game uh, road uh, loss as well, but it was on the road. And uh, the first game they lost 4-2 to two at, at Missouri State. That was a Friday, 6.30 p.m. night game. They lost a noon first pitch Saturday in game two, 6-3. And then they fell to a rough, crooked number, as they would say credit to Hawk Harrelson for that line. 12-3 loss in the rubber match Saturday at 4 p.m., an evening game against Missouri State on the road. So just to open it, I was I know Nick, Nick Landy and I talked about it last week uh, on the U of I call on the road when they were on the uh, road playing U of I. And the pitchings continue to develop. I know I talked to Bo Durkak, not after this matchup, of course, but Bo's very confident in his team. They have a, real, a lot of really confident players. And to me, it's almost similar to what we're seeing with the softball team. You, you know, you talked a lot about the pitchers and – there's obviously a lot more pitching success for the softball team, but the baseball team, they have, I'm going to quote Garn Packs here in uh, baseball, of course, but uh, younger and more athletic pitchers. I know some of my standout pitchers, just to touch on here, uh, Brady, Brady Huffman, uh, Brent Hedrick's doing, I think, 
he can fight through games. He's almost the Jose Quintana of their starting uh, core. And some of the relievers I'm very impressed by this year was Kyle Pauly. He pitched a start, actually, as a matter of fact, against Brent Spillane and uh, U of I, which was a tough one for him. But this pitching staff is very interesting. And, you know, you're going to Wesleyan tomorrow. But, Neil, I think the opening question here is they're hoping for more continuous growth in their pitching. I mean, the hitting's obviously there. It's going to continue to grow. It's obviously going to spot the team and the fans are enjoying. But how can this happen for ISU against Wesleyan Tuesday? How can that pitching continue to grow the way it needs to for this team? Well, and you said the hitting's been pretty consistent throughout the year. Uh, and the pitching has been spotty at times. I mean, you talk about the Missouri State Series. Obviously, those first two games were pretty close for the most part, and then that crooked number on, on Sunday and the 12-3 loss. But it, it's just been, again, and we've had different players from the baseball team come on our Red Zone show at WZ. Owen Miller, a regular. Right, on Owen Miller. And Owen was actually the guy that kind of talked about it. He said, you know, the trouble throughout the year has been, you know, there's games where our pitchers go out and pitch, but then our offense isn't there. And then vice versa, where the offense steps up, can score some runs, but then the pitchers struggle and give up more runs than what their offense is The ingredients is just need to mesh then, is what you're saying. And it's kind of been the case for both, uh, ISU baseball and softball, just not being able to put everything together cohesively throughout, throughout the year. But there has been times where they have, and you know, right now it's probably not exactly how, you know, the baseball squad wants to be playing. They've lost five in a row. They're just three and seven over their last 10 games, four and eight in the Valley. So I believe that has them right around middle to just the, like the lower half of the pack, uh, which is where they were kind of expected to finish. But like you said, I mean, you got Illinois Wesleyan coming in tomorrow, not a division one school, but still a, a school right down the road. You never want to let uh, a D3 school come in. Oh, I, I don't want that to happen either. Yeah. No way. And you don't no. want, the, well, and granted, pardon me, they're going to, to Wesleyan tomorrow, so it's not at Duffy Bass Field, but <laughs> you've got a few non-conference games, which is kind of weird this late in the year. It's that, really interesting the way they schedule these games. That you've got a few of these non-con games, as they call them here, before you get back into conference play before the season ends. But regardless, you know, it's been a tough little 10-game stretch. You just played, and that's a very good Missouri State team. You give, give the Bears credit. I mean, they're tough. Jake Berger coming from that program as well. Yeah, I knew you were going to mention him, our, our White Sox guy. So it's always tough going down to Springfield and winning games at that stadium. But now you've got, you know, you got a game tomorrow that you, you want to win. But you can't just go in there nonchalant and say, all right, this is a D3 school. They're just going to roll over. you got to go in, play your game. You would like to beat up on them to maybe give yourself a little bit of confidence here. Exactly. As, as you said, Butler, they have that home-and-home home against Butler. They'll play one uh, in Indy, then they'll play one here at – Very Indy. interesting how that fits. Yeah, it has been some interesting scheduling. But you just want to kind of forget about these last 10 games, forget about you know being swept on the road. There's things you'll learn from that series, but like you said, pitching, hopefully that continues to, to develop. And you just hope the hitting continues to be there. Yes – you didn't see much offense, only two runs in game one, three in game two, and then again, three in game number three. So, but that's, you know, a Missouri State team that's got a pretty strong pitching staff. So, you hope here, win some games in the non-conference, give you some more confidence as you finish out the conference season. And like we said, we, we mentioned it earlier during the softball segment, we saw what this baseball team did in the tournament last year. Very impressive. I was I was blown away. You never know. Maybe a lot of that, credit to Bo Durkin. Right, and you never know that might. I mean, you have a lot of those guys that experienced that a year ago. So you just hope they build a little bit of confidence here during the rest of the regular season, and then can take that confidence and bring it into the NBC tournament. I couldn't agree more, Neil. And just something you were talking about, like the team's confidence coming in this one. I think that brings to mind what we're seeing. Missouri State's obviously one of the more experienced, veteran-heavy teams. I mean, the Redbirds do have some veterans. Colin Braithwaite's a standout one for me. John Rave, Noah Sadler is one of the well-respected hitters on the team as well. Owen Miller especially, probably one of my favorites on the team continuously to this year as well. But Missouri State, I feel like, and you could say this, I mean, you touched on the 2016 Chicago Cubs, the stocks are on this right now, just to refer to a Major League Baseball reference here. You learn from those veteran teams, how they're, the young teams learn how the veteran teams run things, how they're built, how the winning's done, how they take each loss. And I think... If you're Bo Durkak, you want to make sure. I think he passed that on to his players probably on the way home from the trip. You know, it was a weekend thing, so probably Sunday he sat him down and said, hey, you know, you guys are playing great this year. I'm proud of what you're doing, but we can do even better. I believe in you guys, and you learned from this series. You learned where you guys are going to be at in your future already down the road, but you need to get there first. I think that's hopefully what we're going to continue to see with this baseball team. And as we mentioned, they will be facing – Illinois Wesleyan University right down the road 
down Main Street in Bloomington, Illinois. That is a 6 p.m. first pitch tomorrow. As Neil mentioned, they head on the road first to Bradley before playing at home. That road game will be in Indianapolis this Saturday, a 1 p.m. first pitch, followed by a day later, they head right over to good old Duffy Bass Field on Sunday with the first pitch at 1 p.m. as well. Now, Neil, we're going to head into the big part of the show. You, I'm sure you know what's coming up uh, this week on Thursday to Saturday. I know we have it booked in our DVRs or our fire sticks, whatever we're watching on. The NFL Draft in 2018 is set to go underway this week in Dallas, Texas, on Thursday night, beginning a first round that has the Chicago Bears selecting their future player at 8th overall, followed by a second rounder, two fourth rounders, a fifth rounder, and a sixth rounder as well. Under young GM Ryan Pace and newly hired head coach Matt Nagy, formerly the one of the assistants to Coach Doug, head coach Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the the Hall of Shrine of uh, I think Neil we can call it of uh, Andy Reid assistants, and we hope the Bears make the picks in this year's draft necessary to continue the path that can get the team we know as the Monsters of the Midway back to contention. I had the honor to speak with a man who is very well respected in his career covering Chicago professional sports as he began with 670 to score covering pre and post and more reporting that you guys have heard from the Chicago Cubs in his time there. And he is now the new Bears sports reporter. He is currently in his first year with them for 670 to score. I had the pleasure and honor to speak with Mark Grody himself this past Friday as he and I helped paint a picture of the current state of the Chicago Bears as they stand after a three-day minicamp this week and what we can hope to see in the draft later this week and hopefully a bright future for this team. So we've talked a lot about the Bears, the new coach, Matt Nagy, coming into Chicago and just what's coming up for the draft. So it's really an honor to have you be a part of this. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Just to start off, I think the listeners would love to kind of hear like about what, how your transition's been. You know, you did a lot of work with the Chicago Cubs for a number of years and now moving over to the Chicago Bears. What's that transition been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was it's strange because basically what it did was extend my off-season. My off-season, which was, you know, relatively long, um, was extended, so that was good. The transition has been pretty smooth. You know, I've always paid extremely close attention to the Bears as we are wont to do here in the city of Chicago. So, um, you know, it's taken a little bit of extra prep, a little bit of work, some memorization, um, you know, reading up on things, knowing the minutia of the Chicago Bears, if you will. So in that respect, it's been kind of fun, too, because it's like I'm back to doing studying and research and making sure I know all the, the basics. And then, as I said, the, the little ins and outs as well. So I, it's been really smooth. It's been really fun. It's a completely new adventure, and it helps that there's a new regime as well. So I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I know we talked a little bit earlier this week. You were talking about how you were going to take part in the Bears minicamp, just, you know, covering, you know, what you were talking about, the new regime, Matt Nagy, his new staff bringing in, of course, returning Vic Fangio for the defense. So what did you notice that was the most interesting with how Matt Nagy ran things with the current Bears roster that fans are seeing before the draft? Well, I think that the the biggest takeaway from those three days, and it's hard to take away too many concrete things, the biggest takeaway to me, though, is the – the win for public relations as it pertains to the Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy. And a lot of that is compared to what it was like under the, the John Fox regime. And John Fox was just one of those old school coaches who refused to give a whole lot of information. And I think it frustrated reporters. Matt Nagy, so far, and these are just three days, we have no idea what he's like after a real loss during the season or what his uh, tenure will be like. But just in that little tiny case that we've received so far, he is engaging. He is willing to share some X's and O's without giving away too much. He seems genuinely excited. He's smiling. The practices that I got to watch were high energy. Most of the players to a man support this guy, and he comes with some raving reviews from some of the players, and not just some of the players on the Bears, but a lot of the players around the league. So, yeah, it's hard to get a real gauge on what this team is going to look like, you know, watching them practice in, in helmets and shorts. But for a three-day minicamp, it was about as optimistic as I've seen. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I think that's something I personally, as a fan as well, Mark, am excited about. You know, you see yeah, Mitchell Trubisky coming to last year's draft with the second overall pick, and they bring in all not just all these weapons, but players that can we, – we've seen develop into other cultures, you know, with Allen Robinson over in Jacksonville and Trey Burton coming over from the Philadelphia Eagles who just won the Super Bowl. So a lot of exciting pieces, and uh, I just want to get your view on it. They were talking a lot about it this week, how uh, Mitch Trubisky has had really good impressions already from Matt Nagy and Matt Nagy likewise of Mitch. So what could that say about the type of tandem they can try and develop with this – Bears team that's looking to grow. Yeah, I mean it's all about that. It's all about Mitch Trubisky as he is. He is unlike this year. He is the undisputed starter with his with the backups that they did sign this year. They are they are <laughs> lifer backups. They are guys that are you know very happy to be in their role. So it's sort of like Mitch is over here, and then you walk a few miles and you see the backup guys. So it's him on an island in terms of where this team is going to go this year. It seems like. Matt Nagy uh, is a perfect complement to Mitch Trubisky. They're both young. I mean, this is Nagy's a, a coach who is, you know, for the, whether this means anything or not, I don't know, but he's 39 years old. He is innovative in terms of his offense. He, you know, wants to run a version of the West Coast offense with some elements of the spread. So it's going to require some really quick decision-making for Mitch Trubisky. It's going to require a lot of shotgun work, which I saw them do during the three-day minicamp. So, yeah, there's there's a lot that's going to go on between those two and just making Mitchell Trubisky as comfortable as possible. And it started with those guys that you mentioned, with the guys in the offseason they signed, and, and uh, Trey Burton, who is going to line up just about everywhere on offense. He is a tight end, a U tight end, if you will, uh, meaning he will, again, line up just about anywhere. You're not going to see him blocking a whole lot. He will do that, but that's not going to be his thing. He's there to catch the football. Taylor Gabriel is just a terrific weapon as well. And once Aaron Robinson's knee is healthy, um, obviously he is, you know, on paper, the rough back, the best of the bunch. Um, I did see him a lot at the mini camp. He was not participating in the drills, but he was, he was there. He was present. He was going through some of the rehab still. He's done some, um, you know, sprinting and explosive jumping. So, he has no doubt in his mind that he'll be full force ready to go by the time that season starts against the Green Bay Packers on a Sunday night. Yeah, that's actually, I think, something that's going to be really exciting for fans, too. I mean, it's also prime time, and they said it's uh, the first time in a number of years, if I'm correct, that the Bears are facing Green Bay at Lambeau to start the year. And uh, that's going to lead me into one of my next big questions. You know, the key subject we want to touch on a lot with this next episode, Mark, is the upcoming NFL draft and the Bears. Ryan Pace, the GM, going into his third year with the team right now. He's drafted really well so far. We've seen picks in the fourth and fifth round become Jordan Howard, Eddie Jackson, Adrian Amos, and Tariq Cohen last year as well. So, so far, a really good resume for Ryan Pace. Um, just seeing what uh, the Bears' needs are, you know, with O-line or linebacker, wide receiver, what do you feel going into the next week's draft you could see them do early on with eighth overall. Yeah, probably. I mean, my, my first instinct always on this question is to say defense just because of the guys that they signed on offense. And there are some real needs, I think, defensively with Pernell McPhee gone and Willie Young is gone from those linebacker spots. Uh, they had Lamar Houston at the, uh, with the Bears at the end of the season last year as well for his second ball round with the team. So they need somebody to complement. Let's start with outside linebacker. They need somebody to complement. Leonard Floyd. Uh, you know, right now it's Aaron Lynch getting a long look uh, in the three-day minicamp, number 99 for the Bears, who has a history with Vic Mangio. So he's on a one-year prove-it deal with the Bears. But, you know, you could you could definitely possibly upgrade in, in that regard. Inside linebacker as well, you have Danny Trevathan as your impact guy, of course, coming off the, the, the year last year who missed a few games due to a calf injury. Other than Danny Trevathan at inside linebacker, at this point, you are looking at Nick Kwiatkowski, who was another one of those draft picks by Ryan Pace. He could get a a shot at being a starter. You have John Timu and Jonathan Anderson as well. But just going through those names, you and I both know that that there's a possible upgrade. So Hopefully more depth, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nothing else more depth. If you can get an impact guy like, like Roquan Smith, that would look really nice at inside linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds out of Virginia Tech 
is another guy who is, you know, slated to play inside linebacker, but it sounds like with his athleticism, he could play both positions. So, yeah, so I think linebacker is a big spot. I think the secondary could use depth as well, even though you've got four solid guys right now in that secondary, Kyle Fuller, Prince of Mugamara, Eddie Jackson, um, and Adrian Amos, a guy that you mentioned, one of his draft picks as well. So if you can get somebody like Denzel Ward out of Ohio State, who I think will probably be there at number eight, you have to take a look at that his speed and his athleticism. And then there's the big question of Quentin Nelson on offense, the, the guard from Notre Dame. The Bears need a guard with Josh Sitton having been, you know, cut by the Bears and Kyle Long's uh, injury status. You know, still he says he'll be ready to go, Kyle Long says that. You never know with the array of injuries that he's had. I think we're at the point where we can't necessarily depend on him. So so if Quentin Nelson is available, you probably go with him. Other than that, I'm thinking uh, there's going to be a serious focus on defense in that with that eighth overall pick. Yeah, I think that'd be a really great thing for the Bears to do personally as well because, uh, you know, Vic Fangio coming back and Aaron Lynch, I think uh, I've heard a lot about the linebackers. Uh, the one out of Virginia Tech you mentioned I think is a really good pick, option for Chicago. You know, they said he's easily, uh, considerably a good comparison to Brian Erlacher, as a matter of fact. So that has probably gotten fans really excited about, you know, with the draft coming up especially, it's really interesting where the teams are stacked right now. We saw the Jets, you know, trading up to third overall. Cleveland Browns, courtesy of the Deshaun Watson trade last year, having one and four overall. And I think that's the most interesting thing for fans right now. You know, there's a lot of fans saying, go Quentin Nelson, go linebacker, go wide receiver Calvin Ridley still. But... I'm wondering what you're thinking about, you know, with the trend of the draft, you know, wherever things can go, the Bears won't know for sure that their exact choice is at eight. If you were Ryan Pace right now, what would be your first, like your first official pick at eight and then moving forward through the later rounds? Kind of map out for me who you'd like to see them try and pick each round and uh, for what reason? Yeah, I think that at, at number eight, I mean, if I had my way at this point, I probably am going to say, just based on what I think is going to be available, I would say Roquan Smith, the linebacker out of Georgia. Um, as much as I like Tremaine Edmonds and the, the ceiling that he appears to have, and as you said, the comparison to Brian Urlacher, I keep hearing that he is a raw player, one that would be perhaps a developmental guy. I don't think that they want – I think I, I would prefer to see a guy who can make an impact right away. So I would say Roquan Smith with that number eight pick. Um, I think as you move into the, the second round is going to be really interesting because, and I don't say that because I still think that they have to continue as much as the offense has already been improved with some of the signings they've made. They still need offensive weapons. I think they could still use another wide receiver, obviously, with ISU guy, uh, Cameron Meredith, off and gone to the New Orleans Saints. Sadly to see I, that go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, too bad. I mean, he had the torn ACL last year, but the year previous, undrafted out of uh, uh, from the Redbirds, you know, he had a pretty good year over 800 for whatever reason, the Bears were hesitant about the injury and maybe just about his fit for whatever reason. Um, but that said, I wouldn't be surprised if in the second round the Bears thought about maybe taking a wide receiver. I think there'd be a little bit of a bold move that early in the draft, but the way Ryan Pace was taught, or I should say Matt Nagy was talking at the minicamp, look, we need wide receivers still. So if Calvin Ridley is still there in the second round, which I doubt, Guy that I really like is Cortland Sutton, a big, tall kid out of uh, SMU, and Christian Kirk out of Texas A&M, um, and then James Washington out of Oklahoma. I think all those guys, Oklahoma State, I should say, all those guys would be nice possibilities in the second round. Um, and then you're going to continue to see them. Eventually, if, if Quentin Nelson doesn't happen in the first round, you will see the Bears. They don't have a third-round pick, but they do have right now a couple fourth-round picks probably continue to look at that guard position. Um, you know, Will Hernandez is another nice guard out of UTEP. Um, you know, there's a couple other nice prospects, too, that you can you can think about. You know, they could use some depth along the offensive line. So I think that that's kind of the, the early rough draft, the way I would see it in terms of, of where the Bears are going to go. But as we know, anything can happen and trades can be made and uh, scenarios can be mixed.
Yeah, I think that's exactly what I could see similar as well to what you were saying there, Mark. The draft will be really intriguing. And that second round, I think uh, as well, it, I've been looking at a lot of mock drafts, and you always see a lot of different things, and I think I could see the Bears go a lot of those routes. And I just want to thank you along as the host of Little Stickler Special. We want to thank you for just, you know, being a part of this show. You're obviously very well-respected in the sports world. I'm a big fan of yours as well, so it was a true pleasure of mine to have you be a part of this podcast. And uh, I look forward to seeing what you continue to do with the Bears as a sports reporter moving forward. So our best of luck to you and uh, to the uh, Chicago Bears in the draft next week in Dallas. Hopefully it goes uh, their way. So thank you for talking to us today, Mark. Will, thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to a fellow Redbird. I'll say the same thing to you. Good luck with your career. I hope you become a star, my friend. Thank you, Mark. Enjoy your day. All right, you're welcome. Neil, that was a lot of great insight and analysis from Mark Grody, and the Bears are in an interesting position heading into this week's NFL draft. I was just, I mean, just touching on it here with Mark Grody, just a very well-respected uh, figure in Chicago sports, a Z&D alums who's very, that, that's a big thing for us. We're both trying to get where yeah. he's at, so we hope we will in the future. But uh, what are your opening thoughts of the current uh, Chicago Bears team in the upcoming draft uh, starting Thursday night? Well, I mean, obviously everybody that follows the Bears, and that's probably a lot of the people that listen listen to the podcast, I'm sure a lot of Chicago sports fans, uh, I mean, it's been the rebuild. And obviously it started with the hiring of a new head coach. Last year it started with, you know, drafting quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Palooza. That's right. And so now, like you said, they've got the eighth pick here in the first round. It's nice to have a top 10 pick. Now, it's not always maybe great when you have a top 10 pick because you, you struggled the year before, but... Uh, a lot of people are excited for this draft, especially when you have uh, you know a new head coach trying to lead a new way. And I'm sure I haven't been fortunate enough, like you said, you got to talk with Mark earlier uh, last week. I did, you probably have a lot more insight from him as to what he kind of thinks the Bears are going to do, and, and you're going to hear just something he talked a lot about was. I know you have it up in your laptop yeah. right here. Yeah. Tremaine Edmonds, uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah, who's with NFL Network, a very well respected mock draft mm-hmm. uh, aficionado, in my opinion, but. Um, something Mark really touched on a lot was he didn't mention a lot of the Quentin Nelsons too much, like a lot of other uh, fans have or analysts, because he said that's a good choice for them. But there's always a he, he went with a direction of where that might not be the what the player that falls to the Bears, and that's something I asked him in depth a little bit. And he said he compared Tremaine Edmonds out of Virginia Tech and uh, Roquan Smith was one he was really interested in a lot. I think the just to briefly mention it to you here, Neil, and the listeners at home, they uh, they he compared the two. Tremaine Edmonds, yes, he's being compared to Brian Rutgers. That excites the fans. That, whenever you hear a player comparison, that excites the fans. And uh, something he compared that was really – I didn't see it at first, but now I've actually seen it, you know, just reading and analyzing it myself. Tremaine Edmonds is the more developmental type linebacker the Bears would take at eight if they go him over Roquan Smith. But – I think Roquan Smith out of Georgia would be a really interesting player to go alongside a Leonard Floyd that is just incredible. I I remember listening to Ryan Pace on the radio. I was driving home from a uh, band practice in South Holland, coming home to Lansing, my hometown. And you know, we we heard like his opening remarks that draft night about him. Ryan Pace has a lot of confidence in the players he picks, and I think Mark just. And, you, the, of course, the listeners at home are going to hear what we're talking about here. But he just was very impressed with what uh, the Bears are doing. And there's a lot more work to go. But I think you can agree with me here. Coach Matt Nagy is the right hire for the Bears. Now, we did hear a lot about how they were talking to Pat Shermer. Um, I'm actually glad they didn't get Josh McDaniels just because I think he developed more with Brady. So that maybe um, getting a guy like Matt Nagy. And uh, I'm glad I'm pronouncing it correctly. They went over that on the air last week with Matt Nagy. Um, he's going to develop his own with Mitch Trubisky. And you see that with what we saw many years ago when Bill Belichick came over and uh, had Tom Brady fall into his lap there um, when they drafted him. And I think Mitch, I've been, I, I'm sure you've been reading as well, haven't? Isn't it incredibly exciting to see how those two are meshing, how when Taylor Gabriel also first came and to meet the team, he's in a picture wearing a Mitch Trubisky jersey, and A-Rob's like, oh, I want to be with the team the rest of my career. I think coming into the draft, you hope they bring that energy to those players they're meeting. They've met quite a bit of players. Now, I know they have wide receivers galore right now. Of course, they lose Redbird Cam Harris with uh, Grody. Mark Grody as well shares our uh, D 
dearest condolences with that loss yeah. uh, in Redbird Nation. But that's kind of what I'm seeing with the linebackers. Now, I'm sure – and we talked a bit, quite a bit about it around the campus this week. You have an idea of about the draft as well. So, Neil, you and I get the pleasure to pretend we are both Ryan Pace on Thursday night in Dallas – Picking the players for the Bears, and we will paint for the listeners at home our predicted picks for each round in the 2018 NFL Draft. So, Neil, I'm going to let you start off with your first pick in the first round, and I'll start with mine. So, uh, who do you pick, Mr. Ryan Pace uh, slash Neil Doyle in the first round? Uh, You know, this is tough, and I I was going to say you've talked about how uh, Mark kind of talked about you know, Ryan Pace and kind of how he's been over the last several years in the draft. He's done a pretty good job. I mean, a lot of fans have been happy with what he's done. Uh, I mean, I know last year he kind of got, you know, a lot of, not flack, but a lot of, you know, is this really what the Bears need to do uh, in the first round when they went up to trade up to get the right approach? Yeah. And so, and a lot of people were a little skeptical, but people like it as well. So uh, in this first round, we've kind of talked about different ways they'll go. You talked about how he said, you know, a guy like Quentin Nelson, if he were to fall to, you know, number eight, uh, could the Bears take him? I would just because of how good of an interior lineman he is. Very impressive as well. But the issue is, like Mark, I think you said, mentioned is, you know, can they really sit there and say, well, is he going to fall to us? Because a lot of curse the Cleveland Browns, one and four pick. Right, Curse, curse Cleveland. And so a lot of people think that. You know, Nelson's going to get drafted before then. I think with this eighth pick, they'll probably go a defensive guy. You talked about Edmonds, the inside linebacker from Virginia Tech. A lot of other guys are looking at mock drafts and talked about maybe they go secondary. That was an issue for the Bears last year here at times. So a guy like Denzel Ward out of Ohio State would probably be a good pick in that situation. Uh, a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick as well, too. Now, they've got some pretty good safeties right now. Do, Eddie do Jackson as well from Alabama. Just an impressive right. player and, from the fourth round. And so you've got Jackson, who really had a nice year last year. So I, I don't know if they would want to go safety again. Fitzpatrick's not a guy that could really play corner, I don't think. Uh, so my guess is if I'm, gonna, if I'm sitting at eight, if a guy like Denzel Ward or maybe even Edmonds, I mean, I, I think those would probably be their two best choices at that eighth spot if – Nelson doesn't fall to you there. So if Nelson gets picked, I think they'll probably go Edmonds or Denzel Ward. I couldn't agree more, Neil, but I'm going to be the fan that hopes he falls. I I wasn't going to go him at first because when the Bears were still – and that's the interesting thing with the NFL draft. You never know what's going to happen with free agency. That's why they call it free agency frenzy, if I'm correct. And Quentin Nelson, I think I'm going to go with him as my pick at eighth overall, depending on who falls to the Bears. Now it's – It'd be very exciting if Bradley Chubb fell to the Bears. He would actually be my uh, dream first choice by Ryan Pace to trade up. Now, I don't think they're going to do that just because of doing that last year to get Mitch. He was more worth doing that uh, in last year's draft than it is right now. Of course, that'll depend on Ryan Pace's final decision with his staff and the team kind of deciding where they want to go direction-wise. But I think that Quentin Nelson is, and we're seeing the mock drafts here, there's one where he's falling six or falling seven. The Bears could easily move up a good spot or two and not have to give up too many picks to get him, hopefully. And I think he would match well with uh, Coach Highstand, the former Notre Dame O-line coach who is now back with the Bears. And I think the nice thing, too, to consider is the Bears are going to take at least two O-linemen, in my opinion. They took one from an unknown school last year. Morgan, his last name was. John Morgan. And uh, he was... An interesting pick in the fourth and fifth rounds. That's where Ryan Pace is best in the draft. He is the GOAT. I'm going to use uh, the GOAT reference there. He's the greatest of all time, in my opinion, in the fourth, fifth, later rounds. You know, there's there's guys that could pick great in those other rounds. But to me, if I were Ryan Pace, and uh, we're obviously mock Ryan Pace tonight, yeah. um, I would go Quentin Nelson, the guard out of Notre Dame, to go alongside uh, Charles Leno Jr., Cody Whitehair, and of course, one of my favorite Chicago Bear O-linemen, Mr. Kyle Long. So, Neil, what do you have for us in round two? Well, you went Nelson. I say maybe they go Edmonds in that first round, or as I also said, Ward, the cornerback. So, let me say they go Edmonds with that first pick, because I don't want to be faltering between two different players. So, they go Edmonds round one. Uh, I still think they need to get a defensive back. Now, they did get back Kyle Fuller. Uh, they matched that offer that Green Bay tried to get. 
So the folder comes back, and then they also have Prince Amakamura. Of course, I probably can't even say his name correctly. Amukamara, Mr. Uh, Amu- Amukamara. And so now the problem with him is, you know, he, he plays, he's been playing in a lot of games over the last few years. A little bit of mileage on that body, even though they did get him back for a three-year contract. Uh, but I still think they need a defensive back. And a guy like Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado, I think, would be a great plan B option in that second round. Sounds like a really interesting player. Well, and again, the issue at times was that secondary last year was banged up here and there. So I feel like a guy like Oliver, again, out of Colorado, Pac-12, can come in. He's six foot one. He's around 200 pounds. Uh, he's got a pretty good IQ on him as well. I feel like he would be able to come in, fit the system. Now, would he play a whole lot right away? I think he would, uh, but he could definitely learn from a guy like Fuller, who has been a very good cornerback for Chicago, and kind of shore up that secondary. So I think that's what the Bears, and round two, I believe they have pick number 39 or something. Very like early in the second round. Second round, Which is great. Yep. Very so, early in the round two. I'm going to go with Oliver with that uh, second pick. I'm going to go with one of my second favorite wide receivers. Now, I don't think they're going to get Calvin Ridley. I know something Mark Grody also touched on in my conversation with him this past Friday was uh, how much – um, interest not just Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have, but Mark Grody as well has in a, uh, the wide receiver at SMU who could miraculously fall the way the quarterbacks are looking right now in the draft, the old linemen. It's very heavy in O-line and defensive linemen as well as we saw last year, Neil. Uh, Corwin Sutton is a really interesting wide receiver, but he's going to probably go late first round if I'm correct. But Christian Kirk of Texas A&M is – Probably the Bears' second choice. He's a little bit similar to what Calvin really has in terms of skill set, but a big question mark for me in the draft, if you're the Bears as well as any other team in the NFL, Calvin Ridley's great, but you're looking at players in the draft, the other players are like in their early 20s, 21. He's 23 coming in the draft, and for a wide receiver, that's pretty old for a rookie that's coming in. Still an incredible skill set. He's going to do great for any team he goes to, but I'm going to go Christian Kirk out of Texas A&M. The thing that stands out to me with him uh, to the Bears in the second round He's a deep threat. I think, you know, the, a lot of Bears fans are hoping there's a way they could fill Cam Meredith. Cam Meredith was also a deep type threat player, good with route running. Christian Kirk is that type guy. Now, of course, uh, a lot of Bears fans might not remember this player, but he's a very underrated wide receiver with the team. Uh, Tanner Gentry developed a little bit with the Bears, uh, Daniel Raven, but I think this could be Mitch's new favorite piece in the offense. Matt Nagy's going to have a lot of toys to use in the offense after this draft, a lot of toys. I mean, he might even use an old lineman to run the ball a few yards, but uh, which would be exciting. But uh, my second-round pick in the 2018 NFL Draft is the wide receiver from Texas A&M, Mr. Christian Kirk. So, Neil, give us your round three pick. Yeah, I'm going to stay on the defense. Or round four. Round four, right. Round they, four. No round three, so they go to round four. I still think they stay on the defensive side of the ball, and a guy – yeah, they say he's one of the scarier defensive ends, and he can also play linebacker in a 3-4 defense, uh, stand-up pass rusher on the outside. I'm going to butcher his name for sure. He's out of Oklahoma. I believe he goes by Ogbenaya, and I don't even want to say it. Okaranku. Okaranku. We're both probably saying that very wrong. I, I, I did see him play while he was at Oklahoma a little bit, and he is. I mean, he's a guy that he's undersized. A lot of people think he can't play. Uh, in a 4-3-D on the edge, why he'd probably fit better in a 3-4 defense. But just his athleticism alone, he could really be the steal of the draft. A lot of people are thinking he won't get drafted until round maybe four, or pardon me, round five, or maybe even round six. That's Rick Cohen of the Bears draft this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you get him with this fourth round pick, he, again, really could be a steal just with the athleticism he brings. Played at a college like Oklahoma that had a lot of pedigree over the last few years. Knows how to win. Uh, I think he could really develop. And again, you know, some of the faults on him is he's a little undersized for, you know, a a pass rusher. I think that athleticism makes up for it. So I, again, three straight defensive picks for me, but I really think that's the side of the ball that needs to be shored up. Defense wins games. Yeah, I mean, it's the side that has to be shored up. You're bringing in an offensive-minded coach. You talk about the weapons they have right now at receiver. I I think this is going to be a very defensive-heavy draft. And again, why I have the Bears taking three defensive players with their first three picks. I'm also surprisingly, Neil, going to also go with an edge rusher, but from a different side of the USA here, Uchenna Nwasu, the edge rusher from USC. And the Bears might take a linebacker in round one, but uh, the Vic Fangio defense, he's going to love what this kid can bring. He's got a really good uh, arm length, very impressive 40-yard dash. You always see players, and I think just as a side point here, it's interesting to see players that don't, 
that like do really well but aren't looked at in before the combine just show when they get in the draft. Um, but I think an edge rusher would be really good for the Bears as well. Like there's that possibility that Chubb does fall. I, I have heard that the Denver Broncos are opening up trades at five. Maybe the Bears are calling, Pace is calling, we don't know about it. He's I respect how hush hush he is about the movie because we didn't expect it all Mr. Pace can go in last year. And I think that's probably gonna be the same thing as we've seen in the past around Pace. He he does what he does best. You know, he, he he trusts what the team wants to do as well, but he does his job uh full circle. I think he learned a lot over with New Orleans. So my fourth round pick, the first of the Bears two fourth round picks, courtesy of a trade last year in the second round where they uh moved down and got some more picks. I'm gonna go with the edge rush from USC, Mr. Ochenna Wasu. So Neil, what do you have for the second fourth-round pick in this year's draft. So I've gone three defensive players to start, so now you're probably saying, all right, if you pick another defensive guy, you're obviously not Ryan Pace. Now, I am not Ryan Pace, but I think with this other fourth-round pick, you talked about losing Cam Meredith. Uh, yes, they did sign a few other receivers. I mean, notably, Allen Robinson was the big one they got, but I think they go a guy, out again, the Pac-12 out of Washington, Dante Pettis, a uh, pretty athletic wide receiver, had a pretty good career at Washington. Uh, he really possesses a lot of few few hidden talents. Well, I want to say hidden talents because they're pretty well noted, but he's a very good route runner. He, again, would be somebody to kind of not sure up that wide receiver core because he talked about how many players they just signed. But really, some of the guys they signed out of these wide receivers are probably going to help you on special teams and just kind of give you bodies to kind of get through training camp. So a guy like Pettis... One is also very good on special teams. He holds the NCAA record for punt returns with nine. Hopefully a future Devin Hester right, right. there. That'd be a good move. And I was going to say, I knew you were probably thinking that. People would compare him to possibly the next Devin Hester, and that would be kind of funny if he did come to Chicago. Now, obviously, I don't know if you can put him on the same pedigree as, as what Devin Hester did. I believe you were wearing the Hester jersey earlier, weren't you? Yes, sir. Just a <laughs> uh, side note here. Uh, towards the end of the show, we uh, will recognize two special players, so... Neil, I think that's a really great pick. I'm also going to go wide receiver. I think we're think two mind, great minds think alike here. I'm going to go with a wide receiver who probably, if I'm correct, I hope I don't mess this up, um, went to the same school as one of the Bears' former quarterbacks that a lot of Bears fans cringe when they hear the name, Caleb Haney. Ugh, ouch. Um, uh, Michael Gallup, uh, the wide receiver out of Colorado State. Not to use too many puns here, but... He galloped his way into the draft here, and he's, you know, I mean, they bring in Benny Fowler, and, uh, you know, I think a question mark. Now, Matt Nagy has a lot of um, excitement for him, promised him, wanting to help him improve after his injury history. Uh, former first-round pick of the Chicago Bears, the first-rounder, uh, first first-rounder that uh, Ryan Pace ever took was Kevin White. And I know we're talking about Cam Harris, but that's also something we need to touch on as well. Who's the plan B for Kevin White long-term? Because... I mean, you can get a wide receiver anywhere, undrafted, but if you're in this spot in the draft, you have two fourth-rounders, you want to go another wide receiver. Now, I did have them getting Christian Kirk in the second round, but that's, in my opinion, a long-term starter. I could see a guy like this maybe make his way there. You never know how a player's going to develop right after the draft. It's hard to tell this early, of course, since no one's been picked anywhere. But I think this guy could really be impressive. Uh, very good route running as well from what I'm seeing. Very good speed, which I think the Bears could really use a while as well. Um, so that's going to be my fourth round pick. So Neil, uh, what do you got for the fourth, fifth round? So fifth round, I'm going to go stay on the offensive side as well. And one thing we talked about is, you know, a lot of fans have been a little skeptical on this offensive line. And that's why a lot of people want them to go Quentin Nelson in that first round. I wouldn't mind if Quentin Nelson gets picked in the first round, but if they don't get Nelson in that first round, a guy like Bradley Bozeman out of Alabama center. And now some people say, well, Cody Whitehair can play center. I think after you lose Josh Sitton, obviously don't get him back. You could move Whitehair over to one of those guard positions and then let Bozeman, who you know played at a school like Alabama, obviously knows what he's doing. A very primetime program. Yes. Right, and you put him in at center. He's a big-bodied guy, played for a guy like Nick Saban. And I'm always a fan of any Alabama draft pick. Uh, because they come from a school that knows how to win. They have the right pedigree. They bring so, it to that team they go to, especially. Right. And exactly. And you see how many of their players develop well in the NFL. So I, I'm going to say they go Bradley Bozeman in round number five. Mine's going to be cornerback. Now, one of my favorite uh, uh, young players in the uh, cornerback area for Chicago Bears uh, is Bryce Callahan. 
Now, this is when, like, Kyle Fuller was still getting to where he was last year. It took him a little longer than we'd like as fans. And uh, I'm sure Kyle Fuller's thinking the same thing. But he did great for the Bears. I think he earned that four-year deal, no doubt, for the future. Uh, a great move, Prince Mukamara, as you mentioned, a very good veteran. This is a guy with Bryce Callahan that you can groom under those two. You know, I have three future cornerbacks with Kyle Fuller, somebody who's probably already learned quite a bit from guys like Peanut Tillman and other great Bears cornerbacks during his time here in Chicago. But Avante Maddox has really good catching ability, um, really good size coming into the draft out of Pittsburgh. I mean, you just see the videos. He's able to get, you know, the ball out of players' hands, and he's just he, – he does his job. You know, he does what any – whatever you'd like to see from a cornerback. So uh, I'm not going to say future peanut or future anybody because it's still the draft. So we, we're going to let the kid make his own story. But uh, that's going to be my fifth-round pick in the NFL draft. Now, Neil, what is your final pick for the Bears in the sixth round overall? Yeah, so again, going with the theme that if they don't get Quentin Nelson in that first round, I'm going to go back-to-back picks here on the offensive line. And a guy out of TCU, an offensive tackle, Joseph Noteboom, who has some high upside, and we talked about, I mean, Leno had a great year last year, but, uh, you know, Noteboom's a guy that the Bears could really develop. He's got a big body. He still has some room to put some more put some more weight on, put some muscle on. Um, and if he can do that, I mean, he could be a guy down the road that kind of fills into one of those tackle positions because he's more than capable to play tackle in the NFL. He just has to develop a little more. So I think he'd be a great later-round pick to try and develop for that offensive line. So back-to-back O-line picks, maybe not always the most – glamorous or most flashy picks but i think a, you a know a great move, six round pick right a move that the Bears still should. one more pick in the seventh yeah that's a great pick yeah. at six um mine's gonna actually be uh something i think Tariq cohen's gonna love i think he's really gonna like this uh the human joystick as they call him he's very impressive to watch a uh good i think future tyree kill if i'm correct that's probably what Nagy's gonna use him for a slot receiver a lot next year in the running back position of course helping out jordan howard continuously uh, is out of NCANT, Brandon Parker, the offensive tackle. So I'm going to go with offensive tackle as well. I think when you go from a play, for a player that's from an unknown school like that, I think that gives them the energy and just the, the determination, I think is the right word, uh, to just do the best they can coming into the league. Because they're going to – these players that are from the higher schools like Notre Dame, Alabama, the uh, UCLA players, and so forth, those players are going to be in the same spot as these players that were at lower schools, or even if a player from ISU goes into the draft at that point as well, mid-major schools, they're all in the same rank. It's like what they say in college, you're starting back at the bottom like everybody else, and then you just have to go about it your own way, just the same as the uh, better kids might be going about it. And that's going to go with my six-round pick, offensive line as well, Brandon Parker. So, Neil, with the seventh-round pick in the NFL draft, where do you have the Bears going? The seventh round, I mean, obviously, as you get to the later rounds, it's always tough. I mean, these are guys you're just taking a shot on. You think, well, maybe they come into training camp and impress us and maybe make the roster. Uh, so I'm going to go back to the defensive side of the ball, a safety out of South Alabama, uh, goes by the name of Jeremy Reeves. Now, didn't really impress at the combine. I mean, he's you know his numbers weren't great. They don't jump off the page at you. But the one thing he brings, he's you know just a hard nosed football player. And when you think of Chicago Bears football, you think of that you know monsters of the midway, the defense that came in every game and you were scared of. And now they're kind of getting back to that defense. I mean, getting back to maybe a top ten D is kind of the goal. Um, but Reeves here with the seventh round pick. Don't want to say a stretch, but he's a guy. He's a hard-hitting safety. You know, harassed a lot of you know ball carriers throughout his time with the Jaguars, and so maybe go with him in the seventh round. Maybe he comes in, and like I said, his numbers didn't impress in the combine, but he's just a hard-nosed football player, and that's kind of the players you're looking. You love that in a safety as well. Well, and those, and that's what you're looking for late in the draft. You know, guys that just love to go out and play the game hard, and, and that's what Reeves does. And maybe he'll impress in training camp, and you never know. My Mr. Relevant for the Chicago Bears pick, of course, Mr. Relevant will be the last, last pick, but not for the Bears here. I'm going to go another edge rusher, and I've heard it from a lot of the uh, well-respected analysts, along with Mark Grody, in uh, the Chicago Bears area back up in Chicago, you can't have enough defense. And I think that's credit to Vic Fangio, because uh, I think a lot of players in the draft defensively are like, hey, I can't wait to go play for Vic Fangio. He's just such a great, well-respected defensive coordinator in the National Football League. I'm going to go with Joe Osman out of Central Michigan, just... I, I can't say enough from what I've read about this kid. There's too many good things to say, but the one thing, pass rusher. I think that's the key word you could take. Key words you could take from those, pass rusher. So that's my final Bears pick. And as we mentioned, listeners, the 
NFL Draft this year in 2018 begins this Thursday night, a 7 p.m. Central Time start, April 26th in Dallas, Texas, where the first round will take place. Following that, the second and third rounds will be picked Friday, beginning at 6 p.m. Central Time. The fourth through seventh rounds of the NFL Draft will be a little early, so wake up early in the morning as an 11 a.m. Central Time start Saturday. We here at Will's Fifth Quarter Special will continue to keep you posted as well on the Chicago Bears offseason during the draft, beginning the draft, after the draft, and moving forward into the NFL season where we continue to hope they will become the contenders once again that fans hope they will become. Now heading into the fun segment, Will Sports Movie Moment. Neil, this is, I know you told me, one of your favorite parts of the show. We all have our favorite moments, not just in the sports we watch, but in our own favorite sports movies. This segment gives myself, my guest host, and the listeners at home a chance to pick their favorite moment from their favorite sports movie and compare it to modern day sports. Listeners can hop onto the podcast Facebook and Twitter page and post their own sports movie moment favorite. Neil, I'm going to start off here first. Uh, it's one I quoted earlier in the show and or at least earlier in the uh, run of these episodes so far. I can't believe it's at 12, right? It's losing count here, uh, sitting here talking about it. But it's draft day. It's draft week, so I have to pick a scene from draft day. A lot of sports fans are kind of skeptical about how good the movie can be compared to other great ones out there Kevin Costner's done. But it's actually surprisingly one of my favorites alongside uh, his rendition of Field of Dreams because he he plays Sonny Weaver Jr. And, you know, he's... He, his dad got uh, died, and he fired his dad a year before, and he's got the he trades for the first overall pick in the draft, the gutsiest trade of the uh, movie. But the one I'm going to pick uh, from this movie, the scene that stands out to me is he's talking to, uh, I think it's quote-unquote his girlfriend, played by Jennifer Gardner, who's, uh, her name is Allie. She's one of the, like, cap analysts, like, keeps make sure when they're drafting and when they're signing players that everything's where it should be. Everything, every number lines up. Uh, another math term there. But uh, they go and talk in the uh, one of the supply classes because in this part of the movie you're still seeing hey okay they are not releasing you know the relationship to the coworkers or anything it's professional setting but she talks to him about how they get a deal they get a trade offer from Buffalo because he gutted three first round picks of the future including this year's um, by making that trade to Tom Michaels over in Seattle in this one and you know it. Dennis Leary, uh, Coach Penn, and the his staff in the draft room. Now, you know, and I'm sure you can agree with me, there's a lot of people that will pressure a GM during the draft mm-hmm. sometimes, where to go maybe. But the GM's got to trust his gut, and uh, he Sonny Weaver did that. He said, I, it's a character thing for me. This might be the only pick I make because I might lose my job if this doesn't work out. And I think this highlights any situation you see a GM in. And the scene goes, he picks Vontae Mack, a uh, great character player, and he goes with his gut, and then – uh, that's, the, the, that's my scene. You know, that's, I think not one that stands out the most in the movie, but it's the one that I think I'm going to compare it to Ryan Pace. We were just talking about Leonard Floyd a little bit, uh, seeing Mitchell Trubisky get picked. We didn't see the Deshaun Watson pick we wanted to see last year that a lot of fans wanted at first. We didn't see the, I believe it was Vernon Hargreaves. The Bears mm-hmm. would have had at number nine, yeah. uh, 11, had they not traded up with the Bucks a few years ago to get Leonard Floyd. But it's a character thing for Ryan Pace, I believe, as well. He mirrors that from the fictional Kevin Costner character, yeah. Sonny Weaver Jr., in where three cones picked in the fourth round, Amos years ago in the fifth round, uh, Cody Whitehair, a player out of Ashland, uh, to our friend Tom Prizman over there yeah. uh, at Z&D, uh, Adam Shaheen last year as well. Uh, just seeing that right off the bat, that compares um, to me what we can see in the draft continuously moving forward because Ryan Pace – Came into a program that was in shambles. Still stuck with Jake Cutler, what Phil Emery and Tressman left behind. And we're looking at it three, four years later here, Neil. This is a team that could contend possibly next year, maybe, hopefully get close to that. But at least in two years, this is a team you can see in the playoffs once again. So that's my sports movie moment. If you haven't seen it already, draft this week. Go watch draft day. So, Neil, what do you have for Ooh, us tonight? That, that's it's tough to follow up because I, I figured you were going to maybe do something with the NFL draft this week, which it should be a popular pick with the draft this week. I'm going in. You're, I don't know if you're going to like my pick as much, but with, with the MLB season going on and it's early underway, just about 20 games in for the most part, uh, you know, our Chicago White Sox struggling a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people expected the struggles to happen. They're they're in the rebuild mode. Trust the process. Trust the process. And so I, I don't just kind of, and I'm, you know, kind of picking more of a movie in general. But, uh, you know, our, our Chicago White Sox, maybe they're a little bit like the Bad News Bears. 
Maybe Ooh, that's an interesting one. Maybe there. maybe it's you know a little bit of a of a tough start right now. You're you're seeing them develop. I mean they they're they're new players, young players that don't exactly know how to play the game yet. But as you as you know in the Bad News Bears, obviously things change. They you know they learn to play the game together. They they learn to play as a cohesive unit and. Yes, the White Sox are you know waiting for some of those younger players to come up. Maybe not exactly the same as the Bad News Bears, but that's my kind of goal. You know, you're seeing some tough baseball, so it's kind of tough to watch here at times, and that's kind of going to be the season for 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 our White Sox. But you hope in the end, whether or not you know, probably not going to be this year, but year or two from now, you get some of these players that, that you've drafted that, that you've wanted. You've got a few of them up right now. You got a great manager in Rick Renteria. Ricky's boys don't quit. Hey, you know they don't, and that's that's what you're going to see. I mean, you're going to see a team that's going to develop, and hopefully, as you know, in the bad news bears, they they come out on top. They're able to get things figured out. Good news, not bad news. Yeah, it comes out to be the good news bears, not the bad. So that's kind of right now, just with how the White Sox have started, only five wins. I believe they've got like they're tied with three other teams for the second worst record in the league. The Padres and the Marlins. Yeah, Jeter's Marlins. So it's uh, it hasn't been great. So that's kind of where where I'm going with my. Uh, with my movie going bad news I bears, seen that one yet. I think I need to see that <laughs> comparing it to the White Sox. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison, Neil. That's all the time we have in episode twelve of Will's fifth quarter special. The next time you guys will be able to tune in, as I mentioned, we are both students here at Illinois State University, and our finals exams are coming up. There's no excuse there. Education is very important, so I will be doing a special face- extended Facebook Live video. I'll be on as long as. Anybody wants to talk about sports, uh, the usual stuff we cover on the show, I will cover that as normal. That will be in two weeks. The date will be announced on our social media pages and uh, announced to you as well. I look forward to continuing great sports talk uh, in the future episode 13. Around mid-May, our summer break begins with more great guest co-hosts coming up. And I'm planning on having Mr. Neil Doyle here back as well if you enjoyed having him on here a second time. He'll be one of the many Collins that come onto the show in the future as well. So I want to thank Neil Doyle for returning to Guest Coast on this episode uh, for a second time and hopefully many more. And what was a fun time talking sports. So, Neil, you're a true pleasure to talk to us about sports. So thanks for coming back on the show. It was a true honor. It's always a pleasure. Happy to be on. A special thank you also goes out to one of my broadcast favorites in the sports world and a WZND alum, Mr. Mark Grody, who we are thankful took the time to be a part of this podcast and Hopefully we'll continue to reach out as well in the future. And we at Will's fifth quarter special would like to thank him for his time and being a part of episode 12. So thank you, Mark. We also wish you the best as well, Mark, for your beginning as the uh, Bears sports reporter for 670 score. Can't wait to see what you put together, man. When the fourth quarter buzzer sounds, turn to us for your fifth quarter sports talk. I'm your host, Will Farrell, along with Mark Grody and Neil Doyle saying so long from Will's fifth quarter special. To continue to hear your fifth quarter sports talk, You can check out all of Will's fifth quarter specials. Go to WilliamDFarlow.com. To share your Will's sports movie moment like we do on the show, post it on the Facebook page or on our Twitter at WilliamDFarlow. The fifth quarter never stops here on Will's fifth quarter special.